What I'm about to say, I'm not talking about you specifically, so don't be personally offended. I'm not talking about your child. What I'm about to say, I'm saying because I have personal experience with it. I was this at one time. So don't be offended. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about your kid. But here's the truth. Middle school boys have a glorious inability to be self-aware. They have a glorious inability for self-awareness. And I use the term glorious in the sense of amazing, unbelievable. How much middle school boys lack self-awareness. And again, I'm not talking about your middle school boy. I was that middle school boy at one time, and we didn't have a clue. We had no self-awareness about what we looked like, how other people perceived our behavior. No clue. We didn't know how loud we were. We didn't even know how we smelled. Everybody else knew how we smelled. We didn't know that we needed a shower. I don't know what it is about the sense of smell when you're a middle school boy. I'm convinced middle school boys keep Axe body spray in business because middle school boys don't know how bad it smells. And they don't know that it actually doesn't cover up your body odor. It just smells bad. That's middle school boys. We are clueless. We have no self-awareness. And then suddenly, in an instant... As if someone switched on the light, middle school boys from this, go from this glorious inability for self-awareness to an equally glorious hyper-self-awareness. We notice everything about ourselves. We are self-conscious about everything. Our clothes, our hair, the way we walk, we start practicing how we're going to walk. Our head, we're hypersensitive about what we do with us, so we practice nodding. We sling our hair. We touch our hair a lot. Because in an instant, we go from no self-awareness to hyper-self-awareness, and that moment is almost always the moment that we recognize girls. Like The moment that we realize girls aren't like me, We switch from no self-awareness to hyper-self-awareness. And most of us men spend the rest of our lives trying to grow out of this hyper-self-awareness. And some of us never make it out, which is a different message. But that's us. We try to pull out of this hyper-self-awareness. It would be nice in some ways as adults to go back to the lack of self-awareness, like where you just didn't care what everybody thought anymore. The reason I'm bringing up middle school boys is because of all the verses in the Bible, the one that I'm going to read today is the one that most likely could have been written by a middle school boy. Now, it wasn't. It wasn't written by a middle school boy. It was written by a full-grown adult. But there is no other verse in the Bible that could have been written by a middle school boy as much as this verse. It's in Proverbs. 
Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings, ethical teachings, uh, morals, helping us to know how to live righteously instead of living foolishly. Most of them are very short because the person who put this book together wanted us to memorize them. And so most of them are short. Most of them have word pictures, so they stick in our mind. And this one especially has a word picture that tends to stick in your mind that could have come from a middle school boy. It's Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. Here's the verse. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. That's a middle school boy right there, isn't it? Right? It's got dog. It's got vomit. It's got dog vomit. That is middle school. That is disgusting, grotesque, middle school boy. Now, I think the reason the author uses that language and that picture is, yes, partially for shock value. But I think his goal in the shock value is to get us to pay attention. Get us to remember. And you're going to remember that verse, aren't you? It's not hard to explain. I don't have to define any of these words. I don't have to say, in the Hebrew language, this word meant. When you read that verse, you know what he means. Dog vomit, equal sign, a fool who keeps doing his foolishness. Grotesque, disgusting, I can't believe it, equals any person who continues to make the same mistake over and over again, the same bad choice over and over again. It is really, really clear what he meant. We're in a series called Sabotage. We're talking about this idea that you and I have the potential to mess up our lives and our future. We, we, we have the ability to do that. And most of the time we want to blame other people or blame our circumstances or defend our decision or say why it really wasn't our fault. And yet, when we're honest, when we look in the mirror, we have to admit sometimes, I did that. I made that decision. That was my choice. One of the ways that we do this is that we continue to make the same negative decision over and over and over. Dog owners? Who has a dog? Okay. Um, if you have a dog <clears throat> and the dog eats something that the dog's not supposed to eat, like vomit, or poop, right? Or lizards. My dog caught a lizard not long ago. Our reaction, like our instinctive reaction, when our dog does something like that, come on, you're like me too. You can admit it. Our instinctive reaction is to look at our dog and go, why would you eat that? What is wrong with you? How could you do that? And all of our dogs respond the same way. As if to say, what are you talking about? This is what I do. That's what all of us dogs do. I don't know what the big deal is. Now, 
forgive me, but we can be like dogs. We make decisions that have negative impacts on our lives, our relationships, our spiritual life, our emotional life. And then somebody gets brave enough to confront us. Somebody gets brave enough to say, that's not a very good choice you're making. Why are you doing that? And you know how we respond initially? What are you talking about? This is what I do. It's my life. It's my choice. Everybody I know is doing that. We stare wide-eyed. We tilt our heads. We stick our tongue out. What do you mean? So the writer of Proverbs says, I'm going to get everybody's attention. I'm going to talk about dogs and them going back and doing something disgusting because I, I, I want you to snap out of it. I want you to snap out of it. I want you to see what you keep doing to yourself. Your part of our problem is that foolish decisions, they never look foolish to the person making the decision at the time. Almost never do, are we in the middle of a decision and we're, we just have this clarity? Well, that's a foolish thing to do. And we would not be considering something that we thought was foolish. There's always some upside. There's always some positive. There's always something that we think we can gain by making this decision. We never look at a foolish decision and go, yeah, that's really dumb. As a matter of fact, when somebody else steps into their life and says, yeah, that's really dumb. We start defending the thing that we want to do. We, none of us identify ourselves as fools either. None of us do. Now, sometimes we look back on decisions we made 10 years ago and went, oh, I was a fool. Or five years ago, oh, I was a fool. But in the midst of making a decision, none of us self-identify as fools. We always think we see things clearly. We always think we understand the situation, but we don't sometimes. How, how do we keep from this repetitive cycle of making the wrong decision in some area of our life? Here's, here's my first suggestion. Recognize that we all have blind spots. I think that's the first step. It's having enough humility to say, I am capable of making the wrong choice. I am fully capable of deciding the wrong thing and then it having negative consequences. Right after the dog vomit verse, the Bible says, Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Do you see a person who thinks they could never make a mistake, who thinks that they are above making the wrong choice. You've just met a fool, he says. You and I have to bring to our decisions the humility that says, I, I do have weaknesses. I do have blind spots. I don't know everything. I could make a mistake. Otherwise, we become defensive about all of our decisions. We, come, we become defensive about all of our choices. 
And our energy goes into explaining why I'm right instead of evaluating, hey, there's, a, there's at least a small percentage, there's a small chance I could be wrong sometimes. That much humility can make all the difference in decision-making. Second principle, we have to be willing to learn from the past. We have to be willing to learn from past bad decisions. None of us are going to make it all the way through life and not make some bad decisions. None of us are. None of us are going to make it from our birth date to our death date and never make the wrong choice. The question is, will we learn anything when we make wrong choices? Will we learn anything when we make bad decisions? I think I'm safe in saying that for, for most people, if we talk about sabotage, if we talk about a life really imploding, a, a, a real catastrophe, typically it's not one decision. And I'm not minimizing the negative consequences that could come from one bad decision. Most of us can overcome one bad decision. The problem is when we make the same bad decision over and over again for five years or ten years or twenty years or our entire lifetime. If you and I are going to avoid the foolishness that the proverb writer talks about, we've got to learn from the bad decisions that we're all going to make at times. One of the most obvious examples of this in the Bible is an Old Testament character by the name of Samson, and, and maybe you've heard of him, the strong guy, uh, long hair, God gave him supernatural strength. He does all of these uh, uh, feats of strength throughout his life. At various times in his life, Samson makes the same bad decision. We could drop in just about anywhere in his life, and he's making a bad decision that he's made before. But at the end of his life, he meets a woman named Delilah and falls in love with Delilah. Falls in love. There is no shortage of bad decisions that have been made when we fall in love, right? So Samson falls in love with Delilah, who is secretly working with Samson's enemies. So she's trying to find out what's the source of his strength and how do we take that away so that he can be captured. So she goes to Samson and she says, where does your strength come from? And Samson says, well, if you tie me up, then I'll be just like any other man. I'll be, I'll be as weak as any other man. So he goes to sleep. He wakes up the next morning, and he's tied up. Now, that wasn't really the source of his strength. So he breaks his, his bonds, and, and the, the soldiers come in to arrest him, and he beats them all up. Delilah comes back again. No, really. You lied to me the first time. What is the source of your strength? Samson says, well, you tied me up the wrong way. You got to tie me up in this specific way, and then I lose all of my strength. And you know where the story's going. He wakes up the next day. He's tied up like that. Soldiers run in. He bursts out of it, beats them all up. Third time, Delilah says, no, really. If you love me, you'll tell me. What's the source of your strength? If you braid my hair this specific way, I lose all of my strength and become just like any other man. He wakes up the next morning and his hair is braided that way. And, and no one has ever read this part of the story and not, not thought, 
how dumb are you? Like, how dumb can you be not to see that every time you tell her it happens, soldiers come in? Don't tell her. And if you know the story, he eventually tells her the truth. They come in, they capture him, gouge his eyes out. It's a gross scene. But we look at the story of Samson or someone like Samson, maybe somebody we know, and we go, how can you keep doing that? Why do you keep getting in those types of relationships? Why do you keep answering that way? Why do you keep hanging around those friends? Why do you keep... It's just a lot more difficult to do that when it's us, which is why... We have to learn from the things, the mistakes that we've made. We have to ask, how can I learn from this? Wisdom, maturity, comes to a large degree from learning from our mistakes, right? Hopefully, we do some of our learning from other people's mistakes, where we don't have to make them. But a lot of the school of wisdom, the school of maturity is, I made a bad decision and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to make different decisions going forward. We have to learn from our mistakes. Another principle. We have to accept responsibility for our decisions. We have to accept responsibility for our decisions. Not blame others. Not blame our circumstances. Not blame our emotions or where we are in life. Not blame any other thing. Look in the mirror and admit, I did this. I heard somebody say this one time. It's a frightening thought that you have been present for every bad decision you've ever made. Ever think about that? You have been present for every bad decision. I was present. I was fully involved Every time I made a bad decision, we could take it farther. You were the only one who's been present at every bad decision you've ever made. Like some of your bad decisions may have involved these people, and then another bad decision involved those people. There's one consistent character in all of your bad decisions, you. There's one consistent character in all of my bad decisions, me. And a part of maturity, a part of growing, is being able to admit, I made this decision, and maybe there were reasons I thought it was the right decision, but now I look back and I know it's not, it wasn't the right decision, and so I want to learn from this going forward. Because here's the cycle. When I accept responsibility for my bad decisions, I can learn from my mistakes, which allows me to make better decisions in the future. Until I can accept responsibility and have a willingness to learn from whatever that decision was, my future is going to stay the same as my past. I'm going to keep doing the same things over and over, which means a part of this process is I have to be willing to change. It's not just an intellectual exercise where I go, yes, that was my fault. Yes, I want it to be different next time. I actually have to do something different. I have to change my behavior. If you've been in financial stress for five years, for 10 years, 
And, and you never change your spending habits or your budgeting or your saving uh, or, or you never address the financial gap that you have in your life, the financial stress is never going away unless something changes. If your dating relationships, if your marriages have all ended in disaster and you don't change something about who you date or who you choose to marry or how you conduct yourself within your marriage Nothing's going to change. You have to accept responsibility. You have to be able to learn from the past, but you have to have a willingness to change. What's the old saying? If we do what we've always done, we'll get what we've always gotten. There's a repetitive cycle. If I don't make some sort of change in my life to do something differently. and We probably have all had the experience of someone that we love, somebody we care about, a friend, a son, a daughter. Somebody we go to church with, we've prayed with, we've encouraged. And we've watched them make a bad decision and their life crumble and then them begin to come out of that decision. And a year down the road, they're making the exact same decision again. We, most of us know how frustrating that is to care about someone so deeply. But no, they're, they're doing the same thing. You have to be willing to change. That's why thousands of years ago, a grown man, not a middle school boy, used dog vomit as an illustration, perhaps hoping that the next time you or I come to make that same decision that we've made over and over again, we would be grossed out enough to at least stop and think about it. Now, let me offer some positive side of this. Because talking about mistakes, talking about failures, I don't know how it is for you, it's discouraging for me. Um, I, I tend to remember my failures with a greater degree of clarity than I remember my successes. I, I tend to remember my failures with a greater consistency than I remember my successes. I, I can remember... Things that I wish I had not said from 20 or 30 years ago. I remember the circumstance. I remember who I said it to. I remember who I said it about. I remember what came out of my mouth. I have this clarity about my failures. And maybe you're that way. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're emotionally healthier than I am. I hope so. But that's where I am. When you start talking about mistakes, that's discouraging. So here, let me give you some good news. The good news all comes under the category of God helps us in this process. We're not alone. We're not just trying to change our behavior with our strength and our emotions and, and our experiences. We're, we're not alone trying to stop this cycle in our life. And, and let me give you three ways that, that God helps us in this process. One of them is God gives us His Word to guide us in making choices. I mean, God loves us enough. He's our Father, and He loves us enough to say, look, I've written some stuff down you might want to pay attention to. I've written some things down that will help guide you in this decision-making process. In maneuvering through life, I put some things in writing because I love you that will 
help you in your decision-making process. Because I think if we're honest, the choices, the directions, the paths that can most destroy our lives all have to do with sin and disobedience to God. They just do. And you may want to argue with me about that. I just think you're wrong. Yeah, we all make decisions that we wish we had made a different one. We all have perhaps some morally neutral decisions of A and B, and we picked A, and we look back, and we wish we'd picked B. There was a job 10 years ago that you turned down, and you look back now, and you think, I wish I would have taken that job. But chances are you, you took another job, and life didn't fall apart. Maybe there's some things you didn't get as a result of that. Life didn't fall apart because you chose a, job A over job B. What destroys marriages and relationships and lives and futures and it's usually sin. It's usually because I've looked at God's Word and I've said, God, I'm going to do it my way. I don't want to do what you say. I want to do what I say. Those decisions that we make over and over again that sometimes have catastrophic impact on our future. All of those are obedience issues. They're obedience issues. And God, because He loves us, because He helps us in this process, God wrote down what will help guide us in this life. Second way God helps us. God gives us forgiveness forgiveness when we fail. Freely, abundantly, infinitely. His grace never runs out. I look at my life and there are things I wish I had done differently. There are mistakes that I made. There are things I wish I could change. None of them are outside God's ability to forgive. And, and any decision I make in the future is not going to be outside of God's forgiveness, ability to forgive either. Like His grace is abundant. Even in this cycle, even if I made the same bad decision two times, three times, ten times, fifty times, yes, that's had some consequences that I'm having to live with. But it's never come close to taking me outside of God's grace in my life. When Jesus is dying on the cross, as He's breathing His last breath, Jesus never said, this is for the forgiveness of sins except for that one. He never said that. This is for the forgiveness of sin unless you do the same thing ten times and then ten's the limit. That's it. He never said that. Jesus died, shed his blood, gave his life for any number of mistakes and any number of sins and any number of disobedience in our lives. Yes, the proverb writer says, don't keep making the same bad decisions over and over again. But we can't forget that no amount of bad decisions removes me from God's ability to forgive me. Third thing, as God's helping us in this process, God gives us the strength to try again and keep, keep growing. He gives us the strength. If you put your faith in Jesus, and for all of these reasons, God's abundant grace, His unbelievable love, God giving us power and strength, 
For all of those reasons, I hope you're in relationship with Jesus. I hope that you've confessed your sin. You've received the forgiveness that Jesus gives us by dying on the cross. Because when you do that, Jesus says His Spirit comes to live in you. His powerful Spirit. You're not fighting temptation on your own. You're not fighting your tendency toward bad decisions all by yourself. The Spirit of God is there to help you, to strengthen you, to strengthen me. The reality is, if there is some wrong decision that I keep making over and over again, it's probably because I can't solve that by myself. I probably tried. If you've ruined enough relationships, if you've made enough bad decisions, and they've stacked up 5, 10, 15 times, and you just try to put a little more effort into it, it's not going to be enough. You would have fixed it five tries ago. You would have fixed it ten tries ago. When it comes to this sort of weakness in our life, you and I don't have the strength to overcome it. And look, I'm all for discipline. I'm all for putting good practices in place. But at some point, you and I deal with temptations and deal with choices we're not strong enough for, which is the glorious good news that God is in us and He is strong enough. He is capable of helping us overcome those things that we cannot overcome all by ourselves. In the movies, the good guy, the, the hero, the, the spy, the double agent, they always find the bomb with just a couple of seconds left, don't they? It's like that red digital number, and it's counting down six Five, four, three, and it always has a noise, right? Boop, boop, boop. And then, and then there's the real dilemma. You know which one I'm talking about? Do I cut the red wire? Or the green wire? Or the white wire? And he's sweats beating up on his forehead and his hands are shaking. Two. One. And in all the good movies, right at one, he guesses. And it's the right one. God doesn't have to guess to deactivate the bomb in our life. He knows the wire to cut. God knows the strength that you and I need what we have to do is we have to surrender the clippers. We've got to say, God, I lit this fuse. Me, I did it. I pushed the start button, and it's counting down. Five, four, three. God, I need you. To set me free of this. I, I need your work in my life to cut this off before it really hurts me and hurts other people. And, and in, in a room this big, there, there's people and your decision making lately has started the timer. Ten, nine, Eight, 
And, and today's the day. Like, today is the day. The message on dog vomit is the day. If you do, like, God, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I don't want to hope that I can cut the right wire. I want to give this to you, and I want to be set free. And I want to have victory over this. I can't do it myself. I have tried. The five other times I made this decision, I thought I was making the right decision. I've tried to overcome this before. I'm going to give this to you. And today's the day to do that. The band's going to come back out in just a second. They're, they're going to lead us in a song. And it, we're not going to stand. We're not going to sing along. It's a new song. Most of you might not even know it. But the lyrics are so powerful. I want you to just receive this, this song that, that God's here again. No, no matter how many times you've faced this thing, God will meet you here again. And if you'll turn this over to Him, He will give you strength and direction and people and resources to change. You just got to give it to him. God, give us freedom today. God, set us free. None of us have lived mistake-free lives. Not a single one of us. And all of us have that area or those areas in our lives where we just seem to always do the wrong thing. We, we just seem to find ourselves in a hard situation. And so remind us today, we are forgiven. We have an infinite amount of your grace. And you'll help us. You'll cut the right wire. You'll step in. You'll give us strength. So this morning, in this song, God, I pray there's somebody that will give it over to you. Somebody will say, God, I can't, you can. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to follow you on this one. And I pray they'd be set free today. I, I pray they would feel victory in their life today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.